Ladies and gentlemen. Ali, a sneaky right hand. Another sneaky right hand. This time he works over the shoulder of Foreman. Saturday night, T-Mobile Arena. It was electric, 16,000-plus in the house to see Tyson Fury take care of Deontay Wilder in the third go-around. And join us now, the man who is all behind it, the uh, Hall of Fame promoter, top-ranked boxing, Presidente, CEO, Chief of Staff, call him what you want, the GOAT, as I like to call him, Bob Arum. Bob, how you doing, buddy? Terrific, terrific. I'm relaxing you know i need a few days off after <laughs> after being involved in that event uh but uh i mean you know i replay it over and over in my mind and what a great fight that was it really was and you know at the press conference afterwards you said and i'm going to paraphrase here uh in your 57 years of boxing that you thought that that was probably the greatest heavyweight fight uh, of all time or of what you've uh, seen or yeah, been involved of, with. And, what I've seen. Yeah. yeah. It, yeah. Mean, and, and, and that was a, a, a hard thing for me to say and realize. Right. <laughs> but because I had uh, always counted the third Ali Fraser fight, the Thriller in Manila, as one of the greatest fights I've ever seen. It still is. But this fight really exceeded it because Fraser and Ali beat the hell out of each other. They were never the same afterwards. Uh, But uh, nobody went down. Right. Neither guy could knock the other guy down. Here there were five knockdowns. And when you watch a heavyweight championship fight, uh, the knockdowns add so much drama and suspense. Uh, to a fight. You know, I said that exact same thing, Bob, because we had this discussion after you said that there at, at the press conference that night, and I said, well, wait a minute, because uh, they said the exact same thing. A couple of other media guys, I'm going, wait a minute. I go, how many knockdowns were in that fight? Well, I, I can't remember. I go, there were none. I go, there was five tonight. There were five knockdowns, and Fury went down twice in the fourth round himself, which right. was... It's one thing when, when one fighter 
uh, goes down, say, five times or three mm-hmm. times, like Fraser did with Foreman. But that turned out not to be a competitive fight. I mean, it was just Foreman beat Fraser down. Uh, Allie and Fraser was a back-and-forth fight, ebbs and flows, uh, but neither guy went down. Here was a back-and-forth fight, that, and they kept throwing bombs at each other. Uh, and one guy went down three times and the other twice. It was definitely one for the ages. The five knockdowns, the 11th round stoppage. Uh, it was it, it, it was fantastic, and and again, kind of going back to that thrill in Manila, like you like you said, does it have? Is there just an added ambience or different feel when you are in a place like T-Mobile Arena that's that's just about you know packed to the gills, and you have that aura and that sense in comparison to maybe uh, another fight in another country where neither fighter is from that country. And again, I wasn't there in Manila. You were, and you were in a big, you know, outdoor stadium, right? So co- compare, no, does that fit? It was, it was indoors. That was indoors. You're right. You're right. Right. It was a big stadium. It was barn-like. Uh, they've since, you know, after all these spruced it up. Mm-hmm. So it's a much, much nicer arena. But it was dark and dingy, right? No air conditioning, uh, and uh, uh, but the atmosphere was electric because even though obviously Ali Afraza didn't come from the Philippines, uh, the great Filipino people uh, got involved in that fight, and I don't think it mattered uh, that. Uh, uh, there were two foreigners fighting. Right. All right. Bob Aram joins us, and we're talking about recapping what happened Saturday night. Fantastic fight with Tyson Fury defeating Deontay Wilder. Bob, when you were watching this fight unfold, you see Deontay Wilder come out in the first round, and one round one on all three judges' scorecards. I, I want to get your take as we kind of progress through the fight here, because I know that we had talked about, well, how much does Deontay Wilder really want this fight? And you said last week, oh, no, he definitely does. He's going to be ready. But there's a, I think there's a lot of people, even including myself, saying, you know, I think Fury is going to dominate this fight, especially the beatdown that Wilder took in, in the second fight. But Deontay showed he was game. There's no question. And then came round three when Fury put Wilder down, and you could see at that point in time, his legs were wobbled, and then he got a little fatigued after that. And then round four comes, and then Wilder gives it to Fury to, uh, so much in that round that Fury goes down not once but but twice. What was your feeling at that point in time? Did you have this sense that, wait a minute, my, my guy's down here twice, and you know some, something could change here? I mean, we may be having to change into the guard again. Well, there's a difference. When Wilder, like most like almost every other fighter, particularly heavyweight. When he gets nailed and goes down, he gets up and he's wobbly and he's got to stall for time until his faculties get uh, back, until he gets control of himself. The difference between that normal behavior uh, and Tyson Fury is when Tyson Fury gets knocked down, when he gets up, it's like nothing happened. He's not wobbly. He's a, you know, he has a control of his faculties, uh, and he continues throwing like it didn't affect him. That you saw in the first fight right. uh, between them, when in the in the in the 12th round where he gets nailed by a massive wilder shot and he goes down and he looks like he's dead. Like he'll never get up. And not only does he get up, but he's not wobbly, takes the fight to Wilder and is in control of the rest of the round. Now that's something that you can't explain. That's a God given uh a reaction. Uh uh, that very few people 
uh, can muster because it's not a question of will or anything. It's just how his body works. You have represented so many great fighters um, and promoted so many in all different weight divisions. Have you seen a guy like Tyson Fury before in the sense where this guy was basically a had a lot of talent early on in his career, but then you can almost say the guy you know threw away his talent and then he went to you know ballooned up to four hundred pounds and had the personal problems with the drug use, the alcohol, all that sort of thing, and then bounced back the way he did in that fight that you're talking about the first Fury Wilder fight where he went down we thought like I said thought he was dead he wasn't getting up and then he kind of reinvented himself and then he dominates basically every fight thereafter and this is this is almost seems abnormal Bob can you can you compare him to anybody else that you've been involved with well not really but again you got to look at yeah when he had that mental depression, mental problems, he uh, apparently, because I wasn't around him then, drank excessively and uh, was in despair uh, and was able eventually to pull himself out, rehabilitate himself, and go back. But the one thing he always had going for him is he's a family man. So he's been married to the same woman for many years. They have six children together. And that provided a lot of grounding for him when he was going through that uh, period of his life where he was threatened with depression. So... If he had suffered that depression, in my opinion, and he wasn't that kind of family man, and he was out in the streets with, you know, a lot of ladies, uh, I don't think he would have recovered the same way that he did, in fact, uh, and changed his life around. Let's go back to the early part of 2019. I believe that was the time frame when you signed him. Take us back through that conversation because he's coming off the Wilder fight and, again, still kind of unknown about this guy. What was the conversation like between you and him about, okay, what your plan was with him and what you were going to do, and were you concerned uh, about maybe him falling back into that life? I had never met him before. Uh, I came on board after the first fight. Uh, They felt they needed a prominent U.S. promoter, and I met him for the first time. I'll never forget, I was in England, and I went up to Manchester, and had dinner with him and his group. And the first thing he did is ask me a question. Why do you want to promote me? Why do you want to be involved with me? And I said, because there's something about you that reminds me of the greatest experience of my life was promoting Muhammad Ali. And I believe that you can be for me in my latter years what Ali was for me earlier when I started in boxing. I remember saying that to him, and I remember how it resonated with him. And we were close ever since. Right, but I hadn't. I, I mean, I you know, I I didn't know his background. I I you know, I knew something about gypsies, but I've learned a lot more since uh, and their culture and his culture. And I find him to be a fascinating person to talk to. He's extraordinarily bright, and he's very. Uh, intuitive, 
uh, and uh, uh, really, it's for me on a personal basis. It's been a pleasure uh, to be involved with him. Bob, what was his response to you that night when you said that to him? Again, it's Tyson Fury. He doesn't let you know that he didn't say, hey, great, Bob, I don't know. Didn't say anything. But I could see him absorbing what I said mm-hmm. and accepting it. But he but art, he wouldn't articulate it. No, as he would, you know, I just knew that it had resonated with him, and it had an effect on him. Do you think at that point in time that he was still maybe a little bit leery of who he could probably trust in that situation? Of course. Yeah. Look at look at the different background, his and mine. <laughs> I mean, it's just a, a joke. But again, it didn't phase me because look at the different backgrounds. Me and Muhammad Ali. Right. right? And particularly when, you know, not particularly because that's how I knew him. He was a part of the nation of Islam at that point. But I, again, had no problem, fortunately, relating to him and him to me because Ali was that kind of person. Uh, but I see a lot of Ali uh, in Tyson Fury. One of the things that I always point out, or at least my opinion, Bob, is that when you signed Fury, you turned him into an American fighter, a style that that people have really clung to, and you made him a Las Vegas guy. And that has never happened, as far as my recollection, of watching British fighters. You know, Americans really never clung to a British fighter that wanted to call them their own. They say, ah, I don't like the guy's style. And, you know, you know, going back to Lennox Lewis or even Klitschko, great fighters. But the American public just never said, hey, like, he's one of ours. Every time there would be an American fighter fighting one of those guys, the American public would always, you know, be behind the American, whether they were, uh, you know, as good, better, or not as good. But Tyson Fury, when you signed him, and in you made sure that he had these fights leading up to the Wilder fight here in Vegas. He became loved, and he became this 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 guy that people wanted to root for. And I think it's because personality, but I also think it's because of his style too. I mean, he has a style not really of a prodding heavyweight, you know, with his footwork, with his fundamentals. But his personality is engaging. Love talking with him. Love having him on. And I, I think that's really what resonates. Yeah, but you got to understand. Yeah, like when I this reminds me of when I was a young man and first became associated with Muhammad Ali. I would do his fights, and they he had, he said this and he said that, and they were all so clever and people you know really got a kick out of it, and they would come up to me after the fight and say, "You're a genius." Uh, you uh, uh, came up with these ideas, and look how great they are. And I would look at them, and they'd say, look, they weren't my ideas. They weren't my words. They were Muhammad's. Right. Same thing for Tyson Fury. You know, you can give me credit, but I turned him into this, turned him into that. But the truth is, Tyson Fury is a very intelligent intuitive person and he americanized himself not me he realized uh that he was an entertainer and las vegas was the is the capital of the in the world of entertainment and so he wrapped himself around that aura and became a Las Vegan, and conducted himself like that. Uh, And that's what endeared himself to certainly people in Las Vegas and Americans. But, uh, I mean, I'm I'm happy that you give me credit 
for it, but the credit belongs belonged back then, 50-some years ago, to Muhammad and now to Tyson Fury. And I'm not being modest. It just happens to be the truth. No, and, and I know you well enough to where you know you you you're very modest. There's no question about that. And I guess I'll, I'll clarify with this: Tyson Fury has had the personality, and there's no doubt about that. But I'm going to give you credit, whether you want to take it or not, for the for the chance of of signing him and you know basically making sure that he fought here in Vegas and let him you know be the personality that he could be. And, and making these fights. And I think you gave him the opportunity. And if he doesn't sign with and, you, and, top and, right. and you know any English fighter who's ever fought over here who bought himself a home in Las Vegas? That's my point exactly. Exactly. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's a beautiful marriage. And we love watching this guy. Yeah. You know, Bob Aram uh, joins us, the Hall of Fame promoter. And again, talking about Tyson Fury's. Uh, Great victory over Deontay Wilder on Saturday night. All right, Bob, what's next uh, for Fury? Well, I what, what would I you like to see? Today. I, I well, I talked to him today, and he had just arrived in Manchester, and he was tired, and we talked uh, briefly, and uh, uh, we'll discuss the future uh, maybe a week or so from now. Because I've learned, one thing I've learned is after an event like that, you uh, don't bother the fighter with suggestions of what he should do next. All calm down, we'll talk about it, and then Tyson will come up with his idea of what he wants to do. And I have confidence that, like, every time he'll be spot on. No, and I agree with you, and I loved what you said at the press conference afterwards, too. It's like, hey, leave this guy alone. You know, he's, he's making his commitment here, and he's talking to the media, but let him go celebrate with his wife, his family, his team, enjoy, step away for a while, and, uh, and you're right. And this guy is, has deserved that, and he gave a great performance again, uh, he delivered on a great promotion again, and uh, you're right. Just you know, no one's in in a, in a hurry right now because when the time is right, you guys will make the announcement, and he'll decide what he wants to do. And and I know that the uh, the world, not just the American public, looking forward to seeing Tyson Fury in the ring here again. And yeah. uh, and, and and hopefully, and I'm sure we'll have Vegas. him back. We'll back, have him back time and again in Las Vegas. He loved fighting here. Loves fighting here. Loves living here. Loves. Uh, you know, you, my gym was decorated from one end to the other with Tyson Fury pictures. And now, you know, we'll take them down and we'll put up Terrence Crawford <laughs> right. pictures all over the gym because we got a great fight coming on the 20th of November uh, at Mandalay Bay where Terrence Crawford defends his title against the really tough, tough welterweight Sean Porter. You got it. And great transition. I was just going to go there with you with that as well. And, you know, seeing you at the press conference there Saturday afternoon as well. And in sitting up there with Terrence Crawford and his trainer and with Sean and his father, who is his trainer as well, too. Uh, give me give me your thoughts about that when you because I know that was the first time you've basically been on a dais with Sean before seeing Sean speak uh, passionately and articulately. And then, you know, Bud is is a guy, as you know, who is kind of really down to earth, a little low key here. And, Sean, and it's not that Sean is a a trash talker here, but he's a very confident guy. Uh, tell me what you took out of that press conference because again, I thought it was uh, it, you know it was Sean at its finest, and I love the focus that Bud had, and I, I thought it was a it was a great classy press conference. Yeah, they're two classy guys. Uh, you know, I always have felt that Terrence Crawford is a throwback fighter, great great boxer, good puncher. You know, great uh, strategist in the ring. Uh, he's all of that. And uh, one of the top fighters of our era. Uh, but he's facing in Sean Porter uh, a really tough welterweight 
uh, who will be in his uh, uh, chest uh, the entire fight, roughing him up uh, and trying to prevent him from getting off uh, his very Crawford's very telling blows. It's a classic battle. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised, and I would love that by the end of the year, people uh, uh, debating uh, which is the fight of the year, uh, Fury against Wilder or Crawford against Porter. And I think that's exactly what we are going to be debating uh, come uh, December. Uh, Bob, thank you for promoting this upcoming fight with Crawford and Porter as well, too. I I know boxing fans uh, have been wanting to see this for a long time. I've been wanting to see it. So uh, thanks for stepping up uh, in, in doing that. It's uh, it, it's going to be great. It's going to be fantastic. I think we all know that. I think, yeah, yeah, I agree. All right. Uh, okay. Thanks again. I appreciate it. As always, Bob Aram joins us. Bob, before I let you go, uh, go back to that, that meeting you said with Tyson Fury back in uh, 2019. You remember what you had for dinner? Over there in Manchester with him? Do you remember what was on the table there? With some bangers yeah. or something or what? No, 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 no. This was a, uh, an upscale restaurant in <laughs> Manchester. But a big restaurant, I remember. And I think I had a veal chop. A veal chop. There you go. All right. The veal chop in Vegas or the veal chop in Manchester? There it is, right? right. <laughs> yeah. Thanks again, Bob. Appreciate you. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, TZ. Good talking to you. Thank there, you. There he is, Bob Aram, the Hall of Fame promoter. Love having him on. Love the relationship that we have and uh, being able to talk boxing with the greatest promoter of all time. Tyson Fury, fantastic. Always love talking to Tyson Fury. And Bob's right. You give the guy the space. He's earned it. And uh, what Tyson Fury do when he got done putting on the belt uh, around his waist? He wanted to sing. This is what he does. One thing to say. Tyson Fury, a.k.a. the Gypsy King. And I'm here today ripping it up with T.C. Martin. Tyson Fury ripped it up all right. Saturday night. Appreciate Bob Aaron for joining us. Talking about Tyson Fury. Great stuff. And that will be up on the website a little bit later on today. TCMartinShow.com. Banging away again today. Steve Sachs, Bob Arum, Brian Blessing joined us as we talk about Vegas Golden Knights season opener tonight. And Sam the Man Gordon joined us as we talk about everything. And Sam's probably banging on some weights somewhere in a gym near you. What's going on, brother? Hey, hey, how you doing, my man? Good to talk to you again. We're doing great, man. We're doing great. Yeah, I wanted to pick up, you know, kind of where we left off the other day when we were we were talking, um, you know, regarding uh, the latest here with uh, John Gruden, the Raiders emails, because obviously Sam not only covers boxing and the Las Vegas Aces, but UNLV, but also uh, the Raiders as well, too. And, uh, you know, after the show yesterday, Sam, we got more information, you know, regarding John Gruden, and we got the news that John Gruden and the Raiders parted ways. Now, that was the language that we initially got. Adam Schefter rep- uh, reported that during Monday Night Football last night in the game between uh, the Ravens and whoever they played last night. <laughs> I should remember who they play at. The Colts, because I had the Colts last night. Thank you very much. Well, anyway, um, but the long trail of emails that that were included in this were uh, racist overtones, now anti-gay, misogynist re- remarks, uh, first disclo- uh, disclosed by the New York Times, and uh, the short statement 
that came from John Gruden yesterday was, I love the Raiders. They do not want to be a distraction. Uh, Thank you to all the players, coaches, staff, and fans of Raider Nation. I'm sorry I never meant to hurt anyone. It was short. It was sweet. It was, I guess, to, to the point. But now more and more stuff has come out. Uh, and just to kind of recap the story again, uh, back in 2011, Gruden, who was with ESPN, part of the Monday Night Football crew, uh, emailed the Washington football team president at the time, uh, Bruce Allen, saying, uh, uh, talking about uh, DeMaurice Smith, who was black, had the lips the size of Michelin tires. That was back in 2011. Uh, Gruden also made a vulgar comment about the NFL commissioner, Roger Goodell. We find out now what that was, uh, basically using a homophobic term there. Um, We also find out that uh, there were other things uh, that uh, were in various emails. And the NFL went through 650,000 emails. And uh, so a lot of people are going, well, where did this come from? Well, the emails were gathered from 2011 to 2018 as part of the Washington football team investigation going into the workplace misconduct involving owner Dan Snyder. So obviously Bruce Allen, uh, who was there in that building and you know, you know, worked for Snyder at that point in time. Now Allen was fired a couple of years ago. And uh, again, Gruden also used some other racist terms when he was uh, talking about, uh, used the term queer in talking about the Rams drafting Michael Sam uh, out of Missouri. Yeah, yeah, paraphrasing here, saying that Goodell should not have pressured Jeff Fisher and the Rams to draft queers. Uh, so like we said, Allen was fired in 2019. NFL has gone through all kinds of email. Gruden addressed his players in a Friday morning meeting, letting them know that this article and these the things were going to be coming out. Uh, the Raiders did not play well Sunday at Allegiant Stadium. And uh, we heard from John Gruden yesterday. The We played his comments. We heard some audio we played from Derek Carr yesterday, Josh Jacobs. We talked about what he had to say. He goes, I've been around this guy for three years, never felt any certain type of way about him. He's never rubbed me a certain way, that type of way. I mean, what he said is what he said at the end of the day, too. I mean, I definitely trust him, but it was 10 years ago, and people grow. Well, now more details have come out, and the NFL made their statement saying that uh, John Gruden – Denigrating D. Maurice Smith is appalling, uh, wholly contrary to the NFL's values, because we condemn the statement and regret any harm that uh, its publication may inflict on Mr. Smith or anyone else. And then D. Maurice Smith's statement was, this is not the first racist comment that I've heard, and it probably will not be the last. Racism like this comes from the fact that I've been at the same table as they are, as they have been for quite some time, and they don't like uh, they don't like the look that it gives the NFL. So uh, there it is. All right. So Sam, with all that being said, I I want to get some some thoughts from you here and covering the Raiders. And the Raiders now have made uh, an announcement that they have gone with an interim head coach. It is the special teams coordinator who has been with John Gruden for a long, long time. Uh, how is it in Raiderland today? Yeah, I mean, that's quite a bit to digest, right, CC? I mean, it feels like, first and foremost, um, eight days ago or nine days ago or whatever, the Raiders were undefeated, going into a primetime game on Monday Night Football against a division rival with a chance to move to 4-0 for the first time since 2002 after starting 3-0 for the first time since 2002. So let's just put that out there, right? Yep. Things were all good. You know the lyric. It was all good just a week ago. The great, the worst, the great Jay Z. It's all good just a week ago. It was. It really was. And and all, all of a sudden, the, the the trajectory of this franchise this season takes a complete one eighty. Yeah, this is devastating, CG. Devastating on a number of levels. This is, um, you know, the leader of the franchise, the face, one of the faces of a let's let's call it what it is, a multi billion dollar enterprise, right? Uh, with the Raiders, the franchise, and of course the NFL. So you're one of the representatives for one of the biggest businesses in the world, and that. Regardless of if he held that position or not, obviously the viewpoints of what he communicated was absolutely deplorable. It doesn't matter if you're you know, a regular civilian or if you're the face of the company. You can't be talking like that and feeling like that. There's no place for that period. I don't need to pile on. That goes without saying. Uh, but in terms of how things are in the greater land, I mean, it's, it's, it's a total upheaval. It's a way. This is the leader of the locker room and the leader of the franchise wasn't who you thought he was all along. And um, that's, that's, what we, that's what we've come to learn. This isn't... 
you know, these are the 2018 was three years ago, right? That's not that long ago. And, you know, how much do people really change when they're in their, you know, late 50s and stuff and are communicating like this over a consistent period of time? I think, you know, we love to assume that people grow, but, like, do they? Like, does everybody grow? I don't think we can just automatically assume that every step of adversity is going to create some growth. I think that's a, 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 a nice narrative, a cozy narrative that we tell ourselves, but I'm not sure how real that actually is. And clearly, John Gruden was capable of representing himself one way in the public and being, being a completely other way privately for a long, long time. So I, I imagine that act continued, you know, during his tenure here with, with the Raiders. I'm not sure. You know, I'm not, I don't know how he communicated with his players or what exactly his emails were saying. And stuff. I, I have no knowledge of that, but I don't imagine he just changed all of a sudden in 2018. So with that said, this is an adult, a leader, that a lot of these guys trusted, a lot of these guys had great admiration for, and you find out he's not who he thought he was. And that's devastating on a number of levels. I can only imagine how some of the players are feeling today. We're going to have to see, you know, this can go one of two ways. You see, the team can rally together, and this can be a rallying point like it was, you know, for the Clippers in 2014 amid the Donald Sterling scale. They were the last team to beat the Warriors in the Western Conference uh, until 2020. Um, so that's the closest parallel I can think of. It could go that way, or this could obviously derail at one point what was a promising season. So we're going to have, you know, we're going to get more answers in the next few days when, when players and coaches address the media. But for right now, it's, I mean, this is a, this is a, an unprecedented situation when it comes to the NFL. And Raiders with an off day today, and so tomorrow they'll be back uh, at, at the office, back to work, back to practice, and then uh, the new interim coach will be addressing um, the media you know, in, in a highly anticipated press conference that will be taking place uh, tomorrow. Uh, here's the thing, too, Sam, just to, before I switch gears here a little bit, you, you brought up, you know, to your point, this is – not just any franchise. It's just not any head coach. It's not a first, second, third-year head coach that many people don't know. This is John Gruden, former Super Bowl champion, face of the Raiders, face of the Davis family, basically, uh, and an ex- extension of Al Davis to Mark Davis, and he was handpicked for this job. He was lured out of a huge paying gig on national television, and if just the casual football fan didn't know who he was. The casual sports fan knew who he was because of his role on Monday Night Football and everything else that he did at ESPN and in the media. He's getting paid $10 million a season, so that doesn't go unnoticed as well. So that's why this story is even bigger than it would be if it just happened to a lesser coach. So, yeah, this is this is huge, and I can understand why this is going to you know, be the story that it is in, in the NFL, but from a Raiders perspective, like you said, it's going to turn this locker room upside down because of who it is in John Gruden. Oh, without question, TC, without, without question. I mean, there's no way it doesn't, just given the gravity of the situation here. Um, I also want to point out here, right, according to the numerous reports that we've seen and um, the, you know, the, with the networks being all over this, you know, Mark Davis has no knew about this, you know, a few days ago. The only reason John Gruden's stepping down is because he got caught. Stop stepping down for, for what he said. Like, he got exposed and his hand was forced. You know, Matt, what if that investigation never happened? Like, what if, what if the, the, these emails didn't get missed? Like, then you would have somebody who's espoused these ideologies throughout the course of his career. And I don't care that he was out of the league when these comments were happening. He was the face of Monday Night Football. You know, let, let's not act like ESPN and the NFL aren't direct business partners, aren't best friends. They have been for a long time. So even though he wasn't technically working in the NFL, he was very much a face and an ambassador for the league because every Monday night when we flip on that game, he was in our living rooms talking to us and communicating thoughts and opinions about the game. So it, to me, that, that doesn't matter. I, it's just, I think the larger issue at hand is it's a, you know, a cultural issue um, at the NFL. This is a league that blackballed Colin Kaepernick for, for speaking his opinion and in order to protect dollars and, and sponsorships and revenue and that's not, you know, that, is John Gruden the only one that's communicated this way? I'm not sure. You, you see a lot of the discourse on social media is pushing for more of these emails to be released. The, the lawyers representing uh, several women that were uh, part of the investigation, the Washington football team, are pushing for, for more emails and documents to be released because there's, you know, there's speculation that this just isn't limited to this particular franchise. This is much bigger than that. So um, as it pertains to the Raiders, you know, absolutely devastating and, and unnerving and um I think at the end of the day, a lot of people are going to have to answer for this. You know, it goes to the, 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 the accountability aspect and, and who knew and who was complicit. And if Mark Davis knew and didn't do anything until his hand was forced, you got to be kind of sidelining him too today. Like, there's, you know, there's no way you can avoid that. So we're going to have to see what happens. I'm really curious to see what the players 
and coaches and, and the people in the locker room who are going through this are going to say, and you know, we're going to find out more, like you said, uh, throughout the course of the week. Sam Gordon joins us from the Las Vegas Review Journal. Okay, Sam, uh, I want to hit you with this because, again, you are a fine journalist, a great journalist, and this story broke because of journalism. Now I want to look at this angle here. Uh, yeah. wh- why the leaked emails? And it's not like Andrew uh, Benton, who with the Wall Street Journals, you know, that he went into, uh, you know, found this in some dumpster or something like that, or went to the cyberspace. You know, how did he get this? And who wanted him to have it? There's a lot of conspiracy theories out there. I don't even know if they're conspiracy theories, but there are a lot of questions that now we're, that we should be maybe dug into here. And somebody wanted him to report about this. Somebody wanted him to write about it, whether that was uh, someone in, in the NFL offices, uh, especially with all the horrible things that had happened at Redskins Park. We're talking about, you know, with Dan Snyder. And now, you know, I had these questions a day or day and a half ago. And then now we're finding out, well, this all came about because they dug into 650,000 emails because they were digging into the misconduct that was happening at Redskin Park and with the Washington football team. So why hasn't any of that been tapped into? And why did the NFL shield you know, uh, you know, Dan Snyder here? I mean, no one was really talking about Dan Snyder anymore. Now, maybe more stuff will get uncovered here, but I know there are some people in the NFL office that may want that may have wanted Gruden fired, or there's this theory also that maybe somebody within the Raiders organization knew this was coming and, and they wanted you know this to happen. Then you got D. Maurice Smith, who was up for re-election by the NFLPA, that the NFL actually may want to you know keep him around instead of opening it up to, to someone new then maybe it was leaked because of that, because they don't want a new executive director. I mean, there's many intriguing thoughts out there, but I guess my biggest question here, and I'm asking you as a journalist, uh, you know, why now for this? And, you know, how, how did this stuff get leaked? Well, yeah, that's a, that's a tremendous question. I think that's, you know, that's been the cause of a great deal of speculation nationally amongst both media um, and fans, right? Why is this coming out? You know, what is the timing of this? I have my own theory, right? And this, again, this is just a theory. I'm, this is based on no reporting. Sure. This is just speculative. Mm-hmm. But when the NFL was reviewing of the nature of these emails and got wind of how Gruden had referred to Goodell, I think maybe Goodell got upset about that. And, you know, it was a little vindictive or spiteful. I don't know. And, you know, the, the first email leaks on the one on Friday, here's something. You know this, me in the business. Stuff doesn't leak just randomly. Like, there's, 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 strategy, there's strategy behind it. It's all part of the game. Stuff is strategically linked at different times to different hours to generate different responses to gauge different things. So my theory is the first email leak to take the temperature of Mark Davis. Okay, what are you going to do? How are you going to handle this? Are you going to do anything internally? Are you going to discipline him? Is there going to be anything, you know, public? There was very little. There was very, very little generic, um, generic statements, generic responses, nothing that offered any kind of detail, no accountability whatsoever, no, uh, no apology, just very, very generic and blank of statements as you could possibly get. I think the NFL took a look at that and said, huh, okay, this is, this is how you feel? All right, let's do this again. And hence you get the other series of emails that comes out to New York Times. Again, that's just a working theory I have that's based on no reporting. I want to make that absolutely clear. But when you, when, you, when you put the pieces together and think about everything that happened over the last three or four days, I think that makes sense. It's a sensible thing. You know, obviously, like I said before, I can't imagine that these kind of conversations are just limited to Gruden. I mean, as we know, um, and credit the Washington Post, you know, we did an unbelievable job, the team of journalists over there, doing a long-form investigative piece about the culture within the Washington football team that prompted this investigation, right? Another instance, PC, of journalism making a tremendous difference. Um, so, so you credit them first and foremost, but that goes to show you that it was all going on over there, and, it, you know, things were happening with Gruden. Like, it's not, it's not limited to just a couple individuals. So it's fair for fans and media to speculate why is it more stuff coming out I'm not sure what's going to happen. I imagine, you know, again, the, the folks at the Washington Post are going to keep digging. Other national outlets are going to keep digging as far as the Washington football team is, uh, is concerned. And we'll see if there's any developments there. But, it's, yeah, the, the whole timing of everything is certainly very interesting and, you know, gets you thinking about what, who, who wants what and what, what people's agendas are. And clearly there was, a, you know, a, a, a want and a desire for Gruden to be gone. And he absolutely deserved that fate based on the contents of those emails. But it is, you know, it is interesting that they're limited 
to the Raiders and the Raiders franchise. So let me ask you this, Sam, just opinion-wise here, this strictly your opinion. Do you think this is just just great journalism, or do you think this is something that the NFL is saying, hey, we, we want to tap into somebody to, to write about this and leaking these emails like that? Uh, probably a combination of both. I mean, I definitely think that there was, um, you know, an aspect of, the, you know, the NFL – um, folks in the NFL wanting to get, uh, you know, wanting to get their story out and get their messaging out for whatever reason. But I also think that, you know, these, these outlets, I mean, New York Times and Wall Street Journal are among the most respected outlets in the country. And uh, you don't get a job there without being a hell of a journalist, you know, in my opinion. So I think it's twofold. But to answer your question, if I had to, you know, if I had to lean one way, I think it's more on the NFL side. And, you know, those outlets, those guys are just the beneficiaries um, in a lot of ways. But credit to them nonetheless. Huge, huge stories, very, very important and well done and well produced. Sam Gordon joins us. All right, Sam, uh, we're getting word you know, today the Tampa Bay Buccaneers release a statement uh, saying they're taking John Gruden basically off of all Tampa Bay Buccaneers things, the, the Ring of Honor, that sort of thing. Uh, sponsorships uh, obviously are gone now uh, for, for Gruden as well, too. Uh, Skechers, uh, you know, dropped him uh, today. So, uh, yeah, it's just a, a bad day for John Gruden and not a surprise at all as we've seen this either with athletes or uh, high-level celebrities who have endorsements, uh, you know, when your public perception is, is basically uh, tarnished, uh, you know, you, you're, you're going to have all this stuff taken away. Yeah, no, you certainly are. And, uh, and, and those are consequences that aren't surprising to, to anybody, right? They're not surprising to anybody um, in the slightest. Uh, why, why would you want somebody who has expressed these viewpoints very casually on a public, you know, on work email addresses with other work email addresses and professional colleagues, right? Think about how careless you got to be to communicate that way, um, especially these kinds of messages. But why would you want somebody representing your brand or representing your franchise who operates that way and who operates with those morals? Uh, it, it, it's totally against what, you know, these franchises or organizations say they stand for, what they actually stand for. I'm not, I'm not sure. Like I said, I don't think this kind of behavior or conduct it's limited to the Raiders and, and, and Gruden uh, and whatnot. I think it's more widespread. But at the end of the day, these, these other brands have to protect their reputations as well. So um, it's not a surprise. I mean, it's part of the fallout. And it's part of, you know, what was expected. And, you know, I don't, I don't think it stops there. I mean, I think throughout the week we're going to continue to learn more and more and more. Uh, and then we'll see, you know, we'll see where we're at at the end of the week. But as far as the immediate consequences, I mean, this is, this is bound to happen. You can't communicate those viewpoints and expect to just skate off scot-free. You know what I'm saying? Again, who knows what would happen if if those articles didn't come out, if those emails weren't leaked. Like, who, who knows, right? So that's that, that's that's how I feel about that. It's, it's not a surprise in the slightest. You got it. All right, let's turn our attention to uh, the Raiders. They got Denver, another you know a divisional opponent, and they've got to go on the road and play them. They're coming off two losses in a row. Like you said, just eight days ago, they were 3-0. and Everything was looking rosy. It was looking great. Uh, they go to L.A., and they lose to the Chargers. Then they have the home loss where they were a favorite, and they lose to the Bears. You can, you know, I thought definitely there was something lacking from the Raiders. They didn't have the energy. They, the sideline looked, uh, looked dead, so to speak. And so I, I firmly believe that what had transpired in that meeting on Friday was definitely a carryover. It just wasn't that the Bears uh, looked great all of a sudden and the Raiders, you know, were not. They looked lethargic. They looked bad. And now they have a different voice. They got their, their you know, special teams coordinator is taking over as their lead voice, a guy that's, you know, been around for a long time. And I think a lot of people are, you know, saying, well, hey, Gus Bradley was a head coach and you brought him in here. Why doesn't he, uh, you know, be the new uh, interim head coach or potentially the next head coach of the Raiders? And to me, that's an easy one, Sam, and I'll let you speak on this. But Gus Bradley is still new to this organization. He doesn't know Derek Carr. He doesn't know anyone on the offense. He All he knows is his defensive personnel. So that, to me, would not be a wise move by Mark Davis to, to – and Mike Mayock to make him the head coach. I don't think they really had much of a choice. You can't bring a guy in off the street at this point in time. It has to be someone who's on your staff, and it has to be a long-tenured guy right now. Now, we know this guy is not going to be the long-term answer, but you know it'll be interesting to see you know what transpires in this locker room with the Raiders. Yeah, you want to keep as much continuity as possible, and you let Greg Olson focus on the offense now, and right. Greg Bradley focus on the defense, and, and, and the interim coach can take care of kind of the general stuff, right? Be the voice in the face of the franchise. Um, in terms of the coaching standpoint, and he and was the, the assi- he was Gruden's official assistant coach as well too. Yeah. So should yeah, make no, note of that. 
Yeah, 100%. It keeps the continuity. I think ultimately, D.C., the onus is going to fall on the players and the leaders in the locker room, right? Like, now we see, you know, kind of the medal of, of, of Derek Carr, of Darren Waller, um, of, of guys like that, the captains, right? There's, this is real adversity. Like, this isn't the adversity of, you know, fourth down, you know what I'm saying, on the road. This is real-life adversity. And this is the kind of adversity that most people don't face during their profession. Like, this is real, real real adversity. So I'm not saying it's going to be easy for these guys to navigate, nor do I expect this, this whole thing to turn around and for them to go, you know, 12 and 5 and to, to rally that way. That would be an awful lot to expect. But we're going to find out, you know, what kind of character this, this franchise and this locker room has throughout the course of the season. I definitely think it was a distraction Sunday against the Chicago Bears. I mean, how could it not be? So now it's, you know, now it's on the, the season doesn't stop, right? They're not going to cancel games or delay games for the Raiders to figure you know, get, get their stuff together, that it's not happening. So now you got to turn the page. you got to go on the road in a crucial, uh, crucial divisional game against Denver, a rival playing up in the thin air against a very good defensive team, well-coached team with Teddy Bridgewater playing some really good football. you got to figure out a way to, to rally together and, and give your best effort in that game. We'll see what happens. I mean, it's, it's, there's so much unknown right now, and we're going to learn a lot throughout the course of this week and, then, of course, on Sunday afternoon. All right, brother. We'll talk to you soon, Sam. Appreciate the insight today, my friend. Always great conversation. Anytime, T.C. Appreciate you having me. Talk soon. There he is, uh, Sam Gordon, Las Vegas Review Journal, who's on this story covering it, uh, covering the Raiders. All right. Uh, appreciate Bob Aaron for joining us today, talking uh, the wrap-up of Fury Wilder 3 and a look ahead to Crawford Porter, which uh, coming to Mandalay Bay on November the 20th. Looking forward to that. All right. Also, uh, Steve Sachs for joining us, talking a little Major League Baseball, and Brian Blessing joined us early on today talking about the Golden Knights home opener tonight. Looking forward to being there tonight as they take on the brand new Seattle Kraken in a face-off uh, about 7.15 tonight, T-Mobile Arena. Miss any part of the show, you know where to go. Go to the website, tcmartinshow.com. Congratulations to the Houston Astros, my boy Dusty Baker, with the Eric Clapton reference. Yeah. Those accusations, baby. You better watch out. And they... Beat down the White Sox today, 10-1. to They will face the Boston Red Sox game one Friday in Houston. And I'll talk to you from there. Back at it again tomorrow. In the meantime, have yourself a good one. Miss any part of the show, tcmartinshow.com.